There is so much misinformation out there about cholesterol and heart disease that it may seem like an impossible topic to navigate, but we're gonna to try to simplify it here for you. When you stop producing cholesterol within every cell, the cell membrane becomes rigid. And in that lack of flexibility, you age quicker. Statins poison our mitochondria. These are the parts of the cell that are responsible for producing energy in the body. It's so interesting to me that all of life comes down to really a single molecule and its transfer of light energy into the energy that your body would run on. Welcome to Commune. This is Jeff Krasnow. Our mission is to spread the ideas and practices of the world's greatest teachers. We do that through online courses, a weekly newsletter, and this podcast. On the show, I excavate perennial spiritual questions like what is consciousness? What is the nature of reality? How do we live with purpose? Reality is infinite. We experience a narrow bandwidth of it unless we transcend our senses through meditation. We delve into practices and modalities that can heal trauma and help us thrive. Mastering the art and the science of forgiveness is necessary to move through life. A miracle is a shift in perception from fear to love. We explore the spiritual traditions that help us acknowledge that we are all connected by a power greater than us. We are all indeed individuals, yet we need to find collective and communal solutions. We build a sturdy bridge between personal wellness and societal well-being. It's only when you get people who are pursuing their dreams, living their truth, and feeling good that we can actually move the needle of society forward. To learn about our courses, our community, and everything we do, visit us at onecommune.com. Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. Now, this episode is a special pod class, part podcast, part masterclass on heart health. So every year, approximately 660,000 people in the United States die of heart disease, contributing to one in every four deaths. That makes heart disease the number one killer exceeding cancer. The most common type of heart disease is coronary artery disease, which can lead to heart attack or myocardial infarction. This disease is also highly related to stroke, which results from blockage of the arteries to the brain, which causes an additional 160,000 annual deaths. In this three-part masterclass mashup, doctors Zach Bush and Mark Hyman take a close look at the physiology of heart disease, its root causes, and the conventional treatments that are commonly administered. Popular medicine has cast cholesterol, specifically LDL, low-density lipoprotein, better known as the bad cholesterol, as the primary villain in causing atherosclerosis and heart disease. In response, Western medicine's answer to high levels of LDL has been the prescription of a class of pharmaceutical drugs known as statins. Statins are the second most prescribed drug in the United States. Now, statins inhibit the body's endogenous production of cholesterol. However, if cholesterol was inherently bad for us, 
why would our own cells produce it? Well, in section one, Dr. Zach Bush deconstructs the cholesterol myth and explores the extensive functional role of cholesterol in the human body. Here's Zach with, is cholesterol the enemy? In the 1970s, we developed a fear of cholesterol. We had started to see an uptick in cardiovascular disease and the like, and we were pouring billions of dollars of infrastructure into building heart centers and, and all of this around the country. And we were starting to uncover in our scientific laboratories the mechanisms by which cholesterol forms plaques in the walls of our arteries. This correlation between cholesterol in the wall of the vessel and the presumably obvious connection to cholesterol in our diet began a journey into the corruption of our understanding of our food system that is now 50 years raging. And it has become so ingrained in us that it is so difficult to pop any of us out of this rut of belief that cholesterol is the enemy. Cholesterol is the cause of heart disease. So to get there, I want to go on a bit of a scientific dive with you as to what cholesterol is and what are the critical roles it plays within the human body. If you were to Google the word cholesterol, you're gonna pop up with a whole series, three pages of images that look like this, some version of a clogged artery. And so the whole understanding and belief of what cholesterol is, is heart disease. We don't want to think outside of the box of this pathology as to what cholesterol might do to us because we've built a multi-billion dollar, in fact, a near trillion dollar industry now over the last 40 years of all of the statin drugs that are blocking the ability of our body to make this cholesterol. And so Google and nobody else out there in the, in the scientific milieu of what we call the pharmaceutical industry apparently wants us to know what cholesterol is because page after page, it's heart disease, it's heart disease, it's death. Cholesterol is the enemy. We need less cholesterol. We need to decrease the amount of cholesterol in your bloodstream to save your life. That's the dogma that's out there. And let's take a look now at the reality. The reality of the broken heart is not one of excess cholesterol. It's, as a, it's actually a dysfunction within the flow state of the body. And ironically, the very thing that creates the ability of flow to happen through every one of your blood vessels that might actually be damaged to the point where you would have cardiovascular disease that flow state is actually allowed by cholesterol. And so I need to take you on a bit of a journey to show you that everything we have vilified in this area of heart disease is actually the opposite. These are the solutions that are in front of us, and it begins with the roles of cholesterol within the biology. This image here is showing you the structure of cholesterol. It's rings of carbon and oxygen uh, combined with a long chain of, of carbons that look like a fatty acid. And so there's a couple of different portions of this that behave differently in environments of water and oils. The rings are what we call lipophilic. They will bind to the oil type structures within a cell, plasma cell membrane that would be the structure and the uh, inf infrastructure of every single cell in your body. And so this lipophilic ring structure binds to the phospholipid membrane and then the hydrophilic or water loving part will hang between the two membranes. And in this, it will create a more complex structure to the plasma membrane that will allow for some critical functions. Interestingly, this cholesterol is built in every cell of your body. Cholesterol in the diet only comes from animal products, meat, dairy, eggs, 
the like. And so as you start to consume cholesterol, it has the option, as shown here on the right side, to absorb that cholesterol at the cell membrane level, pull it into a liver cell, for example, process that into a number of different types of fats that would then be trafficked out to the body, including cholesterol elements. That whole process of absorption doesn't occur at all in a plant-based diet. You absorb no cholesterol from your diet if you're only eating plants. Instead, you produce all of that cholesterol necessary for all of the cellular functions within each and every cell. The molecule that, that cholesterol begins with is called acetyl-CoA. And it turns out that this is actually the molecule that both glucose and fatty acids turn into in a single step when they enter a mitochondria. We'll get that later in a later segment within this. But it's interesting when you, when you hear the word acetyl-CoA, it may be completely new to you, maybe some PTSD from Biology 101, or uh, you've never heard it, but I want you to remember it when we get to the glucose and, and carbohydrates, because it turns out that sugars, fats, and cholesterols are all built from the fundamental same building blocks in the body. It's so interesting to me that all of life comes down to really a single molecule and its transfer of light energy into the energy that your body would run on. Acetyl-CoA is then restructured into this complex structure that uh, is called cholesterol. And in its absorption or production within the cell, it integrates into the double plasma membrane that would allow every cell to have its barrier. The flexibility of this double-walled double cell is determined by how much cholesterol is integrated. So if you have less cholesterol integrated into that cell wall, it becomes rigid rather than fluid and flexible. In its rigidity, it ages faster and injures more quickly. Just like a muscle that loses its flexibility, it is more likely to tear, more likely to injure catastrophically and take you out of the game. When you stop producing cholesterol within every cell, the cell membrane becomes rigid. And in that lack of flexibility, you age quicker. The yellow cholesterol that shows integrated throughout this plasma membrane is nowhere near the reality. Cholesterol is gathered throughout that whole cell membrane, integrated at nearly every interval of a phospholipid to make more flexibility within that membrane in a healthy body. As we age and as we gum up the enzymes that produce the building blocks for cholesterol, as we go on drugs that prevent our ability to go on cholesterol, we can't integrate as much cholesterol into that double membrane and they become rigid. And so it is for that posse that we lose flexibility and flow state at the vascular level. And in fact, if we go on a drug that stops our ability to make cholesterol, we ensure that in the years following, we will have more rigid blood vessels. They may not have cholesterol plaques in the same way, but they will certainly be rigid. And for that, we continue to have heart attacks. The introduction of statin drugs have had no impact on the rates of decline of heart disease. That was a different public health intervention that's improved that. And we'll take a look at that in our later section. But it's interesting to note that the lack of fluidity, the lack of flexibility within your blood vessels guarantees continued cardiovascular disease in the face of a statin that's stealing away your flexibility. The fluidity is also then joined by the protective capacity of that cell wall. Every cell wall is a, a firm barrier between the outside world and the extremely exquisitely controlled internal environment of the cell. The cytoplasm within the cell is 
is monitored and cared for so carefully to make sure that the osmolality is right, that the, the salinity is right, the amount, right amount of electrolytes are in there, that it's hydrated, that you have energy delivery in there. It is kind of the holy of holies here protected within this double cell membrane. If it does not have enough cholesterol, it begins to leak. The permeability goes up. And so if a doctor comes and tells you he needs to get, put you on a drug that's going to gum up your ability to make cholesterol in every single cell of the body, know that you're about to lose flexibility in every cell of the body and you're about to leak worse in every cell of the body. And so we have a fundamental problem here with our understanding of cholesterol. It is the, the backbone of flexibility and, and regenerative qualities in cell membranes and it is the barrier system that allows for a cell to protect itself. The third and fourth mechanisms of cholesterol are extracellular, outside of the cell. And these get interesting. One of them is bile salts. And so the bile synthesis that happens from the liver that goes on to produce the liquid that is then secreted by the gallbladder and the pancreatic duct and everything into your small intestines every time you eat is the way in which we liberate nutrients and bioavailability of the, the food that you just consumed. We need the cholesterol production to allow for that bile salt to make the food that we eat bioavailable to us. That is a phenomenally critical step in being nourished, being fed by Mother Earth. And if we go on a statin drug or some other drug that blocks our ability to put adequate amounts of cholesterol into that bile, we start to diminish our nutritional capacity. Next up is steroid synthesis. This happens throughout the endocrine system in multiple organs. None of the steroids, estrogen, testosterone, those are the common ones, but also the less common ones understood, vitamin D, things like this, are all dependent on the formation of cholesterol at the beginning of synthesis of those complex molecules. You would not have any reproductive capacity if not for the gift of cholesterol. We have demonized the very building blocks of the endocrine system when we told you that cholesterol was the problem. All of that said, the crosshairs of the whole statin movement and the low cholesterol movement fall right here on the lipoproteins. The lipoproteins are the elements in which we carry cholesterol throughout the body in the forms that might be familiar to you with your annual exams, LDL cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, and the like. Those are descriptions of large protein and lipid structures that circulate throughout the body with great purpose. You've probably been told that LDL cholesterol is the bad cholesterol. We'll go into more detail later on this, but it turns out that LDL cholesterol is actually made as an anti-inflammatory for your blood vessels by the liver. HDL then recycles that cholesterol back to the liver once it's done its work as an antioxidant. When you are put on a statin drug, you are being given a drug that will take away your liver's capacity to make the, one of the primary anti-inflammatory systems for your bloodstream. The ironies could not run more deep. We could not have the model more 180 degrees wrong than we do on cholesterol. In the end, it's critical for you to, to take these bullet points forward. I want you to write these down every time you go to an annual exam because one of these days, your doctor's going to sit down and say, there's too much cholesterol in your blood. We should start you on a statin. And you can pull it out and say, okay, doc, that sounds reasonable, but can you explain to me what's going to happen if I go on a statin drug and you take away every cell's ability to make cholesterol and I start to lose the flexibility of every cell wall and I start to, to increase the permeability, I lose the protective quality of every cell wall in my body, 70 trillion human cells suddenly leaking. And what, what happens to my bioproduction when you decrease cholesterol in my bloodstream and my liver metabolism? 
How do I get my nutrients out of my food if my bile is deficient in cholesterol? How do I make my estrogen and testosterone? How do I make my vitamin D without cholesterol? If I lower my cholesterol with a drug that blocks my ability to make that in every cell of the body, what is my life course going to be? I may lower my cholesterol in my bloodstream, but at what cost to the rest of my body? If you're going to put me on a statin drug and lower my LDL, my understanding is you just took away my main antioxidant for the blood vessel wall, which is LDL cholesterol. If you just repeat those bullet points back to your doctor, he's going to sit there in silence because he forgot that all of those things were true. I am telling you that we are so ingrained in this as physicians that we do not remember Biology 101 from 25 years ago. All we remember is the drug rep came in last week and told us that this new super statin is more powerful than the other statin. You should try this one. We are 25 years from remembering that cholesterol is a critical building block for so many functions that are, are absolutely necessary to your Thrive State. Remind them with this short bullet list and move forward to a life that asks the deeper question, which is why is cholesterol needed in my bloodstream? If you see it elevated, that's a warning sign that you are doing something in your lifestyle to create too much vascular stress and inflammation, and you're demanding your liver to come and treat that with LDL cholesterol. Do not take away the workhorse. Do not take away the army that would resolve the inflammation that starts you on the course to a broken heart. As we reconsider human condition, we're going to have to devilify all of the building blocks for life, embrace them, and understand their role in our recovery and ultimate regeneration. Okay, in section one of this masterclass, we learned that cholesterol isn't all bad. It plays an integral part in the flexibility of the cell membrane and safeguards the integrity of the cell wall. It enhances the bioavailability of the nutrients in our food and is essential for hormone synthesis. Lastly, LDL is made by the liver to be an anti-inflammatory. Now, if you are enjoying this masterclass, be sure to check out Dr. Zach Bush's full course on Commune titled Vital Health at onecommune.com slash Zach Bush and Dr. Mark Hyman's commune course, Hacking Your Healthcare at onecommune.com slash healthcare. Now, indeed, high LDL levels are commonly associated with coronary artery disease. But is this a correlation or are high LDL levels causal? Well, in section two, Zach examines the physiology and root causes of cardiovascular disease and dives deep into how and why LDL develops into plaques and can clog arteries. And perhaps most importantly, he examines the pitfalls of turning off endogenous LDL production with statin drugs. Here's Zach with The Physiology of Cardiovascular Disease. As we mentioned last time, in the 1980s, with the new ability to measure fractionated cholesterol in the bloodstream, we suddenly made these public health correlations between high LDL and the occurrence of cardiovascular disease, and we made the assumption of causation. Here we're going to take a look at the physiology of vascular disease from start to finish, and you're going to get to see the role of cholesterol in it, and realize just how we went wrong with our current narrative on cholesterol and our pharmaceutical attack on the whole cholesterol system with our statin drug history.
What we're going to show you here is the simple pathway of LDL cholesterol as it's produced. Cholesterol it can be either absorbed from your GI tract, as we mentioned in the last episode, or synthesized in every single cell of the body. And one of the big epicenters of synthesis of cholesterol within that cellular system is certainly the liver. The liver cell, called a hepatocyte, produces a whole array of clusters of cholesterols that produce different effects within the human physiology. Critical among these is LDL, which is the primary mechanism for anti-inflammatory action within the bloodstream. And so imagine for a minute a healthy human being reaching for that first cigarette, taking an inhalation of radioactive compounds and carcinogenic um, metabolites of the tobacco as it's burned, in addition to the smoke itself and some of the caustic chemicals within that smoke, that gets absorbed through the wall of the lung into the bloodstream. Those chemicals and radioactive isotopes go tearing through the bloodstream, causing damage to that Teflon lining, the endothelium of our entire vascular system. And in the ripping and tearing and destruction of that, that force of the, the toxins, we see friability or the opportunity for non-fluid flow across those endothelial surfaces, the blood pumps. With that, we get a sustained injury as the blood flow itself continues to do a secondary and tertiary injury on top of the tobacco smoke. So we've disrupted that first law of thermodynamics or flow dynamics within that blood vessel with the cigarette smoke, but then the normal physiology can continue that injury. This is the beginning of cardiovascular disease as we know it, and the way to nip it in the bud is LDL cholesterol production from the liver. So we produce LDL cholesterol, which is a, a lipoprotein, as it's called. It's a cluster of proteins and cholesterols that are bundled into a specific format that carry extra electrons. And so we call this LDL reductase, or, or the potential for LDL uh, reductive activity, which is the donation of electrons. So as LDL is emitted into the bloodstream from the liver, you have this deluge of anti-inflammatory warriors that go coursing through the bloodstream. And when it finds an area of injury, inflammation from that cigarette or the toxins in the food in the forms of herbicides and pesticides and the like done the damage, the LDL can then travel in across the endothelial surface to, to deliver the electrons. And in that delivery, it, it does something called reduction. It, it reduces the inflammatory positive charge within the wall of that damaged blood vessel. In delivery of LDL and its electrons, the, the remnant of that lipoprotein is now called LDL oxidase, or it's an LDL uh, oxidant now. It's got a positive charge to it, and so it needs to be carried out of the tissue, and it's done so by a portion of the immune system, which are the monocytes, that'll pick up that guy and carry it back into the blood vessel where it's picked up by HDL, the quote-unquote good cholesterol. HDL picks up the LDL remnant and carries it back to the liver where electrons are added back to that lipoprotein particle system and sent back into circulation as an antioxidant again. And so there's this awesome recycling and regeneration of the army of antioxidants made by your liver in the form of LDL cholesterol. In the next episode, we're going to look into exactly how we came to demonize this LDL because from everything you've heard so far, it's one of the most critical warriors against disease in the body. As we move into that, though, I want you to take a pause and consider the ramifications of pr producing a drug and introducing a drug to the bloodstream that prevents the liver from making cholesterol, which is exactly what the statins do. 
they certainly prevent that same production of the cholesterol and all the other cells blocking all of the other important biologic mechanisms we've talked about. But right now we're going to stay, stay here within the vascular tree and imagine the consequences to blocking LDL production. Now imagine picking up that cigarette and that caustic material of the radioactive isotopes and the rest coursing through the bloodstream causing havoc to all that endothelial surface causing rough inflammatory reactions throughout and there's no army to treat the inflammation. And so in the short-sighted effort to reduce LDL cholesterol in the bloodstream with the hope that it doesn't end up in the wall of the blood vessel to cause a plaque and heart disease, we have short-circuited the entire biologic process of repair within the endothelial system of our vascular tree. It's a classic mistake of correlation rather than causation. And in that, we've created a multi-billion dollar industry of statin drugs that have now sold a couple hundred billion dollars of drug over the last 25 years uh, just for a torvastatin. But then the whole statin category as a whole, you're looking near a trillion dollars of income globally over the last 30 years. Certainly one of the most incredible blockbuster drugs of our time. And it missed the mark for the simple mistake of correlation versus causation. That would be an economic crisis if it wasn't such a biologic humanitarian crisis. In that journey, we have left two generations without the anti-inflammatory response system, and they have suffered a life of increased inflammation and pain in their bodies and diminishing effects of the rigidity of, of the blood vessel wall, rigidity of the cells within their body, rigidity of the muscle cells themselves. The inflammatory consequences are huge, and it undermines quality of life. Every time we take a step into the chemical codependence of Western medicine, we tend to undermine quality of life for short-sighted gains in the metrics of biology that are correlations, not causations. In this section, I'm excited to give you a timeline of events that occurs from that initial vascular injury to the liver's response with LDL cholesterol through to the repair process or the failure to repair and the ultimate accumulation of plaque within the blood vessel wall and the event of cerebral vascular disease and stroke or coronary vascular disease and heart attack. The journey begins at that blood vessel wall, which again is called endothelium. Again, we're going to picture this as a slippery Teflon surface that's dynamic. It's very adaptive to flow dynamics and changes of pressure. When you go from sitting to standing, massive changes have to happen in the muscles that surround your small blood vessels. And the endothelium is extremely adaptable and flexible in its ideal use of cholesterol in those cell membranes of the endothelium. So cholesterol causing that important viability, flexibility within the vascular tree can then be injured by some sort of insult. The most common injuries currently are the herbicides and pesticides in our food, water, and air systems. If you've been following any of my work over time, you know well the role of glyphosate, which is a common chemical in herbicides worldwide. Glyphosate is a toxin that destroys the tight junctions, the proteins that hold that whole endothelial lining in a coherent Teflon-like barrier. As glyphosate goes through your bloodstream, it damages those protein structures, causing rough surfaces to occur and leak across the blood vessel. This leads to, again, uneven flow dynamics through that small blood vessel, and the turbulent flow can lead to further shear forces and tears in the vascular tree. So with that initial injury, there comes an immune response. This is when monocytes, a specific type of white blood cell, are called into this now sticky surface of the endothelium. And they start to stick along there and 
their adhesion proteins on their surface will then bring them between two endothelial cells to now go into the wall of the blood vessel. That monocyte's role is actually to clean up the LDL cholesterol that's already entered the blood vessel. LDL, being an extremely small version of a cholesterol lipoprotein, is very quick to enter an injured source. Like a smart bomb, the LDL cholesterol is the early responder. Even before you get that coarsening and, and destruction of the texture of the endothelium through vascular damage, the LDL can find that early inflammatory center via a charge state. Remember I mentioned that the liver, making LDL as a reductant or anti-inflammatory, has added electrons that can then re react to a positively charged source of inflammation. And so the positive charge of damage brings in the negatively charged LDL cholesterol, which can travel right across the cell membrane, even if there hasn't been damage between the endothelium yet. So you've got early responders as the LDL cholesterol to reduce the inflammation. In an ideal environment, the, mon the monocyte never gets called in because the LDL has already done its work. But in the event that the monocyte gets called in because there's still a coarse you know, repair process going on in the surface, creating that adhesion event, the monocyte travels in and will absorb the LDL cholesterols that are now the LDLO or oxidized LDL. Those are now positively charged and need to be returned to the liver to get recharged with electrons. That LDLO being cleaned up by the monocyte is now safe from the environment. It's not no longer oxidizing the environment. But the monocyte needs to get back into the bloodstream, and so it's picked up by a macrophage, which is this extraordinary system of sweeper cells, kind of the, the, the waste management system of the tissue of the body, will then pick up the monocytes and try to move them back into circulation via the lymph or via uh, direct access through a damaged vascular wall. In the event that there's poor dynamics and an accumulation of chronic injury in this space and you get an overwhelming amount of monocytes that can't be cleaned up quickly enough, they can become pooled and they start to, to become aged. And in the aging of these, these white blood cells, they start to create what's called a foam cell, which is sort of like what happens with a, a joint when it starts to get osteoarthritis and starts to get larger with time, the, the blood vessel wall thickens. The, the foam cells are these damaged and aging monocytes that haven't been cleaned up quick enough by the body will start to call in fibroblasts and you get a thickening of the, the vascular wall just as you would be with a thickening of the knee joint in osteoarthritis. And so in that chronic inflammatory state now, you start to call in more and more LDL cholesterol to deal with all kinds of different levels of inflammation that are now happening between the interactions of monocytes, the aged foam cells, and these fibroblasts. This is where you start to get these large cholesterol plaques. But to blame it on the LDL is a lot like blaming war on the foot soldier. It's never the, the private in the army that started the, the battle. The private in the army in the trenches was always sent there to deal with some sort of large political upheaval that didn't get resolved through better mechanisms. And so I see end-stage cardiovascular disease or cerebrovascular disease as a war that never got resolved politically. The political resolution should have happened at the regenerative state where you call in repair, repair happens, and you, you move on. You go back to a completely brand new Teflon shield there in the endothelium. In a chronic inflammatory state, you've worn down your reservoirs of response systems, your antioxidants, your amount of glutathione in the blood vessel, whatever it is, you've run out of those coping mechanisms and the, the political system has failed and now you're just in full out war. And the body, for all of its efforts, is having a hard time figuring out how to regenerate in the context 
of a battle that just can't be cleaned up fast enough. The battle proliferates, gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you finally have that big cardiovascular event. You have a heart attack as the plaque ruptures and creates a, uh, an immediate bloodstream reaction that clogs off the blood vessel acutely and you go from feeling well to sudden crushing chest pain, sweating, nausea, massive heart attack, risk of death. That's the whole course of events that's happened and we've come back to this middle zone of LDL response as our moment of intervention for the pharmaceutical industry. So the statin drugs are not helping resolve the initial inflammatory reaction. It's, it's blocking the soldiers from entering the field. So the battle may never emerge into a war. And so you may prevent a plaque from happening, but you actually never improve the vascular status of that, that cardiovascular system. And so you have an aging vascular system that's no longer having a heart attack, but is pumping more and more inflammation into the system due to the failure of those antioxidant soldiers that should be pouring in in the form of reductant LDL. And so this is a good example of you know, stepping in midstream with a solution that creates the appearance of, of victory here. We've left the inflammation untreated. The individual continues to, to go into uh, a less and less functional status clinically, even though their LDL may look perfect. So these are the patients that show up in my clinic with an LDL cholesterol on a statin drug after 10 or 15 years that can't walk, can't breathe well, is in congestive heart failure, has inflamed joints throughout their body, suffering from low back pain, chronic memory loss, poor sleep quality, chronic pain of, of three or four different sources, that individual is a factory of inflammation in all sorts of organ systems for the reason we took away their workforce. We took away the antioxidant workforce of LDL through the statin drug that they've been on. And so this is the mistake that we make over and over again in medicine is finding some biologic metric that we can measure causing a correlation to then become causation and then creating a chemical intervention that disrupts a normal biologic process of regeneration to actually bring the problem from a single blood vessel to a whole system crisis by taking away that workforce. The step of biology that is interrupted by the statin drugs is a single enzyme. It's called HMG-CoA reductase and HMG-CoA sits in the factory, if you will, that lives within every single cell of the body. The factory is called the endoplasmic reticulum. And just like any factory complex you've ever driven through with all, all kinds of huge buildings and all interconnected by little roadways and everything else, the endoplasmic reticulum looks like that kind of jumble in the middle of the cytoplasm of the cell. Hugely busy protein synthesis, all kinds of stuff happening in the endoplasmic reticulum. It is the manufacturing center of the cell. In the wall of that endoplasmic reticulum is HMG-CoA reductase. And that critical enzyme is the rate-limiting step to make all cholesterol for all functions mentioned so far. A single enzyme responsible for all forms of cholesterol. That means that once disrupted, it's going to be leading to a failure of your ability to integrate cholesterol into every cell membrane of the body, therefore creating flexibility, resilience, and regeneration creating a failure of cholesterol integration into those cell membranes and such undermining the permeability barrier of the cell wall, therefore creating leaky cells all over your body, interrupting bile production in the, in the gut such that you're losing the bioavailability of nutrients that are critical for your regenerative 
healthy, youthifying biology that's innate to you. And finally, disrupting that whole synthesis of, of biology of the uh, steroid hormones on the back end. So HMG-CoA reductase, a critical step in all of those systems of bioregulation that are highly dependent on the downstream effects of cholesterol. That HMG-CoA enzyme that is stationary in the wall of the endoplasmic reticulum is the target for the statin drug. The way in which the statin drug moves in there prevents it from working at all. It gums up the system. If it weren't for the regenerative quality of the body, I believe that statin drugs would kill people in a matter of weeks. The only reason they don't kill people that quickly is because your body is constantly making new, uh, new endoplasmic reticulum. It's a constant building of the factories. You're always scaling up, if you will, at the factory manufacturing level within your cells, and so you're always building new mechanisms. So there's short periods of time between your doses of statin or whatnot where there's new HMG-CoA reductase enzymes being integrated into the endoplasmic reticulum and you get a moment of cholesterol production. And so fortunately, when you come in on a statin drug to my clinic, your cholesterol may have fallen from an LDL of 180 down to 75, but it's never zero. And it's for this regenerative quality of biology that, thank God, is keeping up with the rate of injury or the rate of clogging of the HMG-CoA reductase by the statin drugs that you're taking every day. And so for the regenerative quality, they don't kill us quickly, but instead we have this slow reduction in our quality of life that's obviously going to correlate with a drop in cholesterol production in every cell and every system within the body. Okay, in section two, we learn that endogenous LDL made by the liver is actually an antioxidant. However, extensive inflammation of the vascular system allows for LDL particles to become lodged in the arterial walls of the endothelium where they can become plaques. This inflammation has myriad origins, including smoking, chemicals in and on our foods, and toxins in our air and water, lack of sleep, too much stress and a poor diet, high in processed foods or saturated fats can also contribute to systemic chronic inflammation. In section three, Dr. Mark Hyman, one of the world's most prestigious functional medicine doctors, looks further into the root cause of cardiovascular disease. He delves into the contributing factors that lead to the development of metabolic syndrome, including high blood pressure, high blood glucose, and abnormal cholesterol, all factors that are precursors for heart disease. He also addresses the efficacy of statins to treat atherosclerosis as well as associated side effects. And he discusses the right kind of lipid panels that you should request and the different HDL, LDL, and triglyceride metrics that we should be considering in determining optimal heart health. If you're enjoying this masterclass, be sure to check out Dr. Zach Bush's full commune course titled Vital Health at onecommune.com slash Zach Bush and Dr. Mark Hyman's commune course, Hacking Your Healthcare at onecommune.com slash healthcare. So without further delay, here's Mark Hyman on heart health. Welcome to day five. It's Dr. Hyman back here with you, ready to talk to you about one of the most mistreated chronic conditions in this country, heart disease. 
Now, the current way doctors treat heart disease is pretty misguided because they treat the symptoms, not the causes. To think we can treat heart disease by lowering cholesterol, lowering blood pressure, and lowering blood sugar alone is like mopping up the floor while we leave the faucet running as the sink overflows. We have to deal with the cause of those problems, not just suppress those numbers with drugs. Instead, we need to ask what's causing the high blood pressure? What's causing the high blood sugar or abnormal cholesterol in the first place? Spoiler alert, these are not medication deficiencies. It's not a statin deficiency or, or an insulin deficiency or, or a blood pressure medication deficiency. We have to treat these problems with medications, but studies have increasingly shown that by reducing these risk factors, there is very little benefit, if at all, for many people. Research shows that by changing your lifestyle, you can have a more powerful intervention to prevent heart disease than any medication. Now, since functional medicine is all about prevention, we need to make sure that you're equipped to take responsibility of your health and track your risk for heart disease so we can intervene before anything ever develops. The thing is that the approach to reversing heart disease is the same as preventing it. So how does a functional medicine doctor interpret the test that can help you understand your risk for heart disease? They start with some basic lab tests. We're going to start with the most basic but also the most controversial topic in medicine cholesterol. There is so much misinformation out there about cholesterol and heart disease that it may seem like an impossible topic to navigate, but we're going to try to simplify it here for you. Statins, these are the drugs used to treat high cholesterol, are the second most commonly prescribed drug in the world. One of the most common questions that functional medicine doctors get is, should I be put on a statin? Now, unfortunately, the calculator that estimated the number of people that should be taking statins was wrong. Whoops. <laughs> it recommended statins to far more people than it would help. The new guidelines increase the number of people that are eligible for statins by 30%. Now, these guidelines were developed often with conflict of interest from the drug industry. Now, this is a huge issue because statins are not without side effects. I mean, if it was like vitamin C and you could take it, no problem, I would say, don't worry. But it is not free of side effects. I'm going to suggest going to a website. It's called www thennt.com. That's number needed to treat, which is looking at the real data around statins and cholesterol by independent scientists, not ones who are funded by the drug industry. And what they show is that not one single person will prevent a death from heart disease by taking a statin if you've not already had a heart attack. And that you will need to treat 89 people who have elevated cholesterol, who will take this statin for five years to prevent one heart attack. And that means that 88 people who take the statin will get no benefit over five years. Now, many who take that statin with no heart benefit, the 88, nine, 88 of the 89 people, they're gonna have significant side effects, including diabetes, muscle pain, sexual dysfunction, cognitive dysfunction, and more. So it's not really a great drug. If I had to treat 89 people with an antibiotic to cure just one person with a bladder infection, that would not be a very good drug. You see, statins do something that we don't want in our life. Statins poison our mitochondria. These are the parts of the cell that are responsible for producing energy in the body. 
This is why the number one side effect is muscle pain. It's like you just ran a marathon and your muscles hurt. Even in patients who have no muscle pain and whose tests of muscle enzymes are normal, biopsy studies have shown that every person who takes statins gets muscle damage. See, statins can impair our ability to produce energy, and they also knock out the pathway in the body that's responsible for producing some of our sex hormones. Yes, your sex hormones are made from cholesterol. Now, this may lead to low hormone levels like progesterone and testosterone. And as we learned yesterday, low testosterone levels are becoming the norm. Statins also may increase your risk of mild cognitive impairment or cognitive dysfunction. Are statins the only thing that can reduce your risk of heart disease? Not even close. Daily consumption of dark chocolate has been shown to reduce the risk of heart disease by 45 to 77%, and the side effects are good. It's yummy. And a handful of nuts a day may reduce your risk by 20 to 30%. Drinking a liter of olive oil a week, same thing, about 30%, as much as a statin. I also want to emphasize that I'm not saying that statins are not suitable for some people. What I'm saying is that you need to be educated on what to ask your doctor about and what additional tests you should get done prior to initiating any statin therapy. You need to know your own body. You need to know what your risk factors are. You need to know what all your numbers are. And you need to make an educated decision with your doctor. Only people at high risk for heart disease who've had a heart attack or people with genetic cholesterol disorders should take a statin. So let's get into the weeds and talk about what different cholesterol measurements actually mean so you can be more informed if you're having a discussion with your doctor about cholesterol or statins. All right, cholesterol. One of the biggest myths out there is that high cholesterol is the enemy. In fact, 75% of heart attacks occur in people with normal LDL cholesterol levels. That is the number that doctors treat with a statin. So there may be something else that's driving heart disease. See, cholesterol becomes problematic when it's damaged by free radicals, where it oxidizes or goes rancid. This occurs when there's underlying inflammation in the body from things like a lack of exercise or high sugar starch diets or belly fat or stress or poor sleep or even environmental toxins. Thus, the goal should always be to find the cause. This is where functional medicine shines. We are the cause finders. We're like the medical detectives. And this doesn't mean that cholesterol doesn't matter. It just means that we need to take all of our risk factors into account and look at the person as an individual. We don't just treat the LDL if it's high with a statin and forget about it, right? Let's go through what a lipid panel tells us and let's talk about it a little more in detail. Most of the cholesterol panels that are done by your doctor are outdated and they don't tell you the real story. I would demand the right test. It's called an NMR test from LabCorp or Cardio IQ from Quest. There is no other cholesterol test your doctor should run. And by the way, probably 99% of cholesterol tests that are run are not these tests. So the first number on a lipid panel is the total cholesterol. Now this number doesn't tell us much because it lumps together HDL and LDL, what we call the good and the bad cholesterol, although it's a little more complicated than that. And it doesn't differentiate between the particle number and particle size, which we'll talk about in a minute. It's so important. That's the most important thing to know. However, ideally, your cholesterol should be under 200. But again, this matters less than the overall profile. If your total is 300, but your HDL or good cholesterol is 100 and all the other numbers are great, then you may not have to worry at all. But if your cholesterol is 150 and your HDL is 30, then you're at super high risk of a heart attack. 
Now, HDL is known as good cholesterol because it sweeps up like a vacuum cleaner all the cholesterol from the arteries and delivers it back to the liver for processing. HDL should be over 50 for men and over 60 for women. But unfortunately, there's the possibility of having dysfunctional HDL, meaning the HDL level you have looks okay, but it's not working properly. This is why we never look at one number. We look at the entire person. If we see an elevated HDL far above the goal range with high inflammatory markers, which we'll discuss in a little bit, then the good guy, or HDL, might not be as good as we thought. LDL, which has been coined the bad cholesterol, should ideally be less than 100. But again, this is not the whole story. There are many forms of LDL that are much less concerning than other forms. The same for HDL, and that's why it's essential for your doctor to do this NMR profile. So let's look at the NMR lipid profile. It's super helpful. So what we look at here is we'll see the LDLP. Now, this is something your doctor usually never measures. LDLP is the number of particles, as opposed to the LDLC, which is your cholesterol. So this looks like your cholesterol is 98, which seems okay, but your particle number is 1,237. Anything under 1,000 is good. So it's got a little more particles. You also look at the HDL, the triglycerides, and the total cholesterol. So you get an idea of what this normal range is. But what we want to look at more is, is this, which is the actual size. So you can see here you've got HDL particles, which should be above a certain number. You don't want a lot of the small particles, so you can have LDL that looks like a normal lumber, like it's under 100, but it's made up of almost 500 small particles. That could be dangerous. You want under 90, ideally. And the size you look at of the particles. We look at the size of HDL, LDL, triglycerides, all the numbers, and we can tell what a person's risk is, and they can have, quote, normal cholesterol, but still be at high risk. So this is a little sophisticated, a little complicated, I've written a lot about it in the books. So there'll be reference materials about this, but this is the test you want to do for your cholesterol. There is no other test to do. Now, this profile will break down the LDL to get the real scoop on what your actual risk for heart disease is. See, LDL has been termed the bad cholesterol. However, this isn't true of all LDL. In the past, we were only concerned with the LDL amount. In fact, it was a weight. It's the weight of your cholesterol. But in that weight, you could have, for example, a thousand small particles that are dangerous, or you can have a hundred large fluffy particles like beach balls that don't do anything and it's the same number you get on your regular blood test. So just as a reminder, in the past we were only concerned about the LDL amount, but it turns out the number of particles and the size of those LDL particles has a much bigger predictive risk on your risk of heart disease. So the small dense LDL is problematic. They're like little dangerous BBs or golf balls that can damage your arteries, where you could have large big fluffy LDL, and that's going to bounce off your arteries like a beach ball. In addition, someone with low LDL cholesterol could also have a high number of small LDL. In other words, you can say your LDL looks normal, it's 70, but it's made up of all these small, dense LDL particles, which is super dangerous. So you get a false sense of security. I've seen this over and over again, where it looks like it's ideal or normal with a regular doctor looking at it. But when you peel the hood back and you go, wait, what, what's going on? You'll see these small, dense LDL particles. And that's because these small, dense particles can squeeze in between the arteries, can actually cause inflammation, and create the cycle of heart disease. Now, as we said before, the ideal value for LDL is less than 100, but it's more important to look at the total particle number. That should be under 1,000. And the small LDL particle number, which should be less than 400 or even lower. I've seen people less than 90. So the takeaway here is that measuring your LDL, which most doctors do, is just not enough. You need to know 
what your LDL particle number is, and you need to know the number of small particles or large particles, and that'll give you a much better idea of your risk of a heart attack. So this test measures HDL and triglyceride size and particle number, which matters a lot. See, small LDL and many particles, along with the small HDL, and large triglyceride particles, and the triglycerides are a little different, you want the large ones are not good. That indicates prediabetes or type two diabetes, and we're gonna address that in the next video. See, in addition to the NMR profile, there's also a test to see whether the LDL you have is damaged or not. See, oxidation is a term used when LDL becomes damaged and it can cause harm to the artery walls. And that causes plaque formation, it causes narrowing our vessels, and is one of the biggest contributors to heart disease. We now have the technology to measure how much of our LDL is oxidized or rancid. Oxidized LDL of less than 60 is a sign of not an increased risk of heart disease. The days of just running a normal lipid profile and prescribing a statin without examining all these other markers and more we'll learn about is really malpractice in my view. It's outdated medicine. So finding a doctor who can use these up-to-date tests, who knows about these advanced tests is really essential. And many conventional doctors are now using these because it's available through regular labs. Now everybody is obsessed with high cholesterol, but the truth is that low cholesterol can also be a problem. It can be problematic, often more problematic than high cholesterol. You see, low cholesterol may lead to increased suicide attempts, depression, impulsive behavior, just to name a few. In fact, when you have low cholesterol, you're not making your hormones, you're having, not having fat for your brain, it's really important. In fact, women with low cholesterol have a 16 times greater risk for attempted suicide than women with normal cholesterol. This is because cholesterol is the building block for our hormones. And even some nutrients like vitamin D, which are essential for mood stabilization. 25% of the cholesterol in our body is in the brain. It's in the brain for a reason. It's essential for coding our nerves so we can ensure we can send great messages across our, our nerve cells and, and our nerve pathways. So when it comes to cholesterol, lower is not necessarily always better. And lastly, triglycerides are another important measurement you're gonna find on a standard lipid profile. Triglycerides should ideally be under 100 or even under 70. Uh, most labs say under 150 is fine. I don't think that's true. Triglycerides are often high because of a high carb diet, a starch, sugar, flour, all that. You can look at your ratio of triglycerides to HDL. This is a ratio that's actually more predictive of heart disease than almost any other ratio on your cholesterol panel. And again, most people don't look at it. This ratio should be under two. Some say under one, meaning your, let's say your HDL should be 70 and your triglycerides should be 70. If your triglycerides are 140 and your HDL is 70, maybe it's okay, but you still want lower triglycerides. If it's over two, you almost certainly have what we call carbohydrate intolerance. That's right, fat's not the issue. Fat doesn't cause the fat in your blood to go up. It's the sugar and starch that screw up your cholesterol, believe it or not. Processed carbs, sugar, even just starchy vegetables can be a problem if you eat a ton of potatoes. And that tells you that you have carbohydrate intolerance and that's what's driving these abnormal blood tests. So if you have extra belly fat, or you're pre-diabetic, or you have type 2 diabetes, and you have elevated triglycerides and low HDL, then you should definitely focus on eating a higher fat, lower carbohydrate diet. So now we've discussed blood cholesterol and lipids. I wanna emphasize that the standard lipid panel is outdated. Don't get it. Find a doctor who does the right test. We always wanna get only an NMR profile from LabCorp 
or our Cardio IQ from Quest. That will help us find out what kind of LDL, HDL, triglycerides we have, and it'll give us the right information to know what to do. And we also want to know about inflammation in the body, which that also can lead to more inflamed arteries and is actually the driver of heart disease. In fact, in studies, they found that if you have a high level of inflammation, even if you don't have high cholesterol, you're at risk for heart disease. And if you have a high level of cholesterol and no inflammation, there's no risk of heart disease. So it's really more important to look at the whole picture. So let's talk about that marker of inflammation. And this is a test that's been well studied in relation to heart disease. It's called CRP or C-reactive protein. It's something made in your liver. It's a marker of chronic inflammation. So this test called CRP or high sensitivity CRP is a critical test to run for everybody, but especially if you're worried about heart disease, especially if you have elevated cholesterol, which will help you calculate your actual risk for heart disease. Because as we just learned, a conventional lipid panel alone is not enough to determine your risk. In addition to CRP, homocysteine is another marker to look at for heart disease. It can indicate problems with folate metabolism, and when it's elevated, it can be inflammatory. An elevated homocysteine level is a risk factor for Alzheimer's and heart disease, cancer, and much more. It should be ideally between six to eight. It's related to our levels of B6 and B12 and folate. So if your doctors see a high homocysteine level, they may put you on these supplements to help reduce the level. But again, most doctors don't test for it. There's another set of markers for heart disease that are important to order, and they can be ordered through a conventional lab test. It's called ApoB and ApoA1. ApoB is an indicator of bad cholesterol or LDL. ApoE1 is a marker that's based on HDL, which is the good cholesterol. And the ratio of those is really important. You can go one step further and look at the ratio of ApoB to A1, which gives us a much more accurate risk predictor than looking at either one alone. In fact, ApoB to A1 is one of the most accurate measurements for heart disease. Now, it should be less than 0.8. Here's the thing with ApoB to A1. ApoB is elevated not from eating fat, it's elevated from eating starch and sugar, from having diabetes, from having belly fat. So you can see a theme here that the issue around heart disease is not fat, it's sugar and starch. It's diabetes, it's not cholesterol. It's triglycerides and HDL, not so much LDL. So there's another thing we should look at if you have a risk of heart disease, it's called fibrinogen. That's a marker for heart disease. And this is a protein, it's involved in clotting. So we wanna make sure that it's not too high. See, if it's elevated, it's a marker of reduced blood flow, of blood stickiness, of blood more likely to clot. So fibrinogen is a marker of blood flow or how thick or sticky your blood is. And we want your blood flow to be smooth and undisturbed so that nutrients and oxygen can get in our tissues, especially our brain and our heart, without any issue. And to make sure that the blood doesn't clot, which is actually what causes a heart attack. It's a blood clot. Ideally, fibrinogen should be less than 300. If your fibrinogen is elevated, you may have other elevated inflammatory markers like CRP. If that's the case, you need to find the source of the inflammation. And again, for most people, the source of the inflammation is belly fat, is diabetes. See, fibrinogen gets lowered when people are often taking enough of the good fats too. These are things like omega-3s from fish oil. And when you address the causes of inflammation, the fibrinogen comes down. So even if you have elevated markers, there's so much we can do to lower them. All right, now there's another marker that's a little harder to deal with. It's called LP little a. It's an important marker because it's genetically determined for the most part. And it may be more problematic than even LDL. 
and it seems to be the new villain in heart disease. If you have a family history of heart disease and your lipid panel shows elevated LDL, then this is a must-order test. In fact, I do it as a screening on everybody as a cardiovascular risk assessment. LP little a has more to do with genetics than it does with diet. However, there are natural therapies that can help lower your LPA and reduce your risk of ever developing heart disease in the first place. Ideally, your LP little a should be less than 30. And one of the therapies that's been found to reduce LPA is niacin, which is a B vitamin. There are other therapies too that are natural. Now, the last test I want to touch on here briefly is carotid intima medial thickness, or CIMT. Now, this is an ultrasound test where you basically run an ultrasound on your neck and it looks at the plaque in the arteries in your neck, which is associated with heart disease or cardiovascular risk. This test is super important for at-risk people because we want to know how inflamed the vessels are and how much plaque you've created over time. If we can get insight into what is going on in the vessels in your neck, then we're also going to get a good idea of what's happening in your heart or your brain since they're all connected. And ideally, if you're over 50 and you have a family history of heart disease or a lot of risk factors, you should get another test. It's called coronary calcium score. It's a special high-speed CAT scan and it looks at the calcium around your arteries and this reflects inflammation in heart disease. Now, I know that heart health testing can seem kind of overwhelming and a bit confusing. But heart disease markers are one of the most controversial topics in medicine, and it's difficult to navigate on your own. So that's the reason I want you to work with a good practitioner who understands how these markers all work together. They're going to be able to look at your entire biochemical picture and help you make an informed decision about what is going on with your health and not just focus on LDL. We're so LDL-centric. We want to look at all these biomarkers and get a real picture of what's going on and combine that with all these other variables, your family history, your genetics, and much more. All right, in the next video, we're gonna talk about metabolic syndrome or prediabetes or diabetes, which has now become an epidemic in the modern world. It affects one in two people. And last but not least, congratulations. You've made it halfway through the course and you're well on your way to becoming CEO of your own health and getting the kind of healthcare that you need and that you want. I hope you found this masterclass on heart health with Dr. Zach Bush and Dr. Mark Hyman informative. Disease, particularly heart disease, can be scary. However, once you understand the mechanisms of the body and true causes that lead to disease, it is easier to adopt healthy behaviors that can lead to thriving and well-being. Increasingly, medical science is discovering that our health is not predetermined by our genes. The emerging fields of epigenetics, the microbiome, and neuroplasticity tell us that we can change in response to our environment. As far as heart health, there are myriad lifestyle choices you can make that maximize heart health and minimize the chance of disease. Understanding your body and how it works is key to making the right lifestyle choices. Again, if you're interested in going deeper, be sure to check out Dr. Zach Bush's full commune course titled Vital Health at onecommune.com slash Zach Bush and Dr. Mark Hyman's commune course, Hacking Your Healthcare, at onecommune.com slash healthcare. That's all from the commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you.